Hello listeners, producer Ben here, and that January transfer window, pretty exciting, eh? And if you're the sort of person who wants to know more about the ins and outs of how a deal is done and why agents aren't necessarily as hateful and avaricious as many would have us believe, it's your lucky day. Daniel G is one of the UK's leading sports lawyers and his latest book, Done Deal, an insider's guide to football contracts, multi-million pound transfers and Premier League big business is all about, well, football contracts, multi-million pound transfers and Premier League big business. The book's out now and Daniel G came into Totally Towers to speak to our OG, Rafa Honigstein. So Daniel, tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to write this book. Well, Initially, as almost all of us are, we're footy fans, aren't we? So growing up in Liverpool as a kid, I wanted all day long to talk about football. Did so with my family, my brother, my cousins, my mum, my dad, anyone that wanted to listen to me, basically. And then throughout school, university, I got to a great position in third year uni. I was doing a law degree where I could write about the Bosman ruling. So I could combine a bit of law with football, really. And I just needed any excuse to be able to do that, really. I then made a great tactical decision to try and encourage my dad that one more year at university was a very good idea for my CV. And what better way to spend another year than uh, writing 80,000 words on football broadcasting rights. So that um, took another year of my life up, which was fantastic. And really since then, it was how can I be a lawyer and do something that I think I know a little bit about? And trying to combine those two things actually has been a difficult process, you know, a 15-year process now, but bit by bit, you start doing a bit more work in the industry, you start making more connections, you get a better network, and people start relying on you to do some work for them. So initially you were doing things you really did not want to do well looking back on it <laughs> i would like i would couch it the other way as, a, as all we always do um which would be there was lots of stuff i was doing i mean i was doing regulations i was doing competition law regulations that's really what i was doing for quite some time and what i actually realized was i was a regulations lawyer now it's across automotive across financial services across media telco broadcasting the great experience i had i could then bring to bear into football but ultimately still you know you call yourself a football lawyer a sports lawyer i am a commercial contracts lawyer i'm a regulations lawyer i'm a disputes lawyer it's just in the setting of football it makes it sound a little bit better and how did you get from there to writing the book well, initially, my idea was to try and put my name out there as someone that knew what they were talking about, about football and the law, really. And it came about from initially in my undergrad degree, writing some journal articles for esteemed uh, journals. Um, ultimately, my missus, who is Holly, who's the one that comes up with the best ideas, was like, Dan, what's the point in writing 6,000 words in, a, in the entertainment law review if seven people are going to read it? <laughs> so the next step was, how do I get from writing 7,000 words to maybe 500 words in a blog that people might actually be interested in? And that was the, f- the first initial sea change, which was get my own blog going, write interesting things, or what I thought might be interesting things at the time, that I thought was FFP, irony in that. Um, and then a few people saying, you know, why don't you write a book? Why don't you do something like that? But easier said than done. Well, you've put the hours in, I think it's fair to say. <laughs> what do you think is the most interesting thing that people could take away from this who might have a an interest in football, interest in transfers, but really will, will learn a side of things or see a side of things that they didn't perhaps anticipate? Well, I think if we're looking at the first few chapters, you know, disclaimer, I work with a lot of players and clubs. Uh, sorry, a lot of players, clubs and agents, really, but a lot of players and agents so you in the agent section and chapter you don't get the usual narrative which ultimately is 
agents are terrible, they do a horrendous job, they make one phone call, um, they get the deal done, and they earn billions of pounds for minimal work. My view is a more contextualized view, if that's probably the best way of saying it, which is I work with loads of the guys, and the guys that I work with generally are very good and do an incredible job sometimes. So my view on agents is a lot more nuanced and is a bit different to the usual narrative. Um, and the, the chapter on transfers or contract clauses or whatever is more or less just to try and demystify what you see on the back pages. So you see on the back page, £30 million transfer. And fans will say, oh, great. If we've spent £30 million on this player, we've got still got £80 million to spend on the next one. The truth is a lot more nuanced than that, which is 30 million or 35 million pounds, maybe only 20 mil actually may be ever paid because of performance related clauses. The main point is all about their wages. The wages are almost certainly for an elite player going to far exceed any transfer fee that's paid. And then we're not talking about the bonuses, agents, commissions, image. So as you can imagine, the list is long, but the point generally is look beyond the headline and then you'll actually get to a bit more detail. Is the amount of people and the amount of sort of effort that goes into signing a player is it in line with the amount of money that's being spent i was i'm always thinking you know you're moving around assets worth well they can be worth hundreds of millions of pounds but i guess the average players maybe worth 15 to 20 million pounds these days if that was a house or a company there'd probably be endless due diligence mm. and hundreds of lawyers involved mm. Is football still different in the sense that actually it is a fairly small operation or is it as complex as some of the other commercial deals would be for similar amounts? There's two really good points there. The first is when now I'm dealing with the larger elite Premier League clubs, for example, their lawyers are excellent and their commercial teams, I think, are excellent. And they've got detailed reams of agreements that need to be reviewed, gone through, negotiated, etc. And they can be difficult documents to negotiate. So the truth is, I can't say it for every club because I haven't worked with far and away, I haven't worked with all of them. But for the top European and Premier League clubs, they're doing an excellent job in being able to first put their position forward that they need to in order to get the deal done, but also have a raft of documents which cover off the essentials, if it's the representation contract, the transfer agreement, the bonus clauses, image rights deal, whatever it may be. But the second point also, which is actually I think one of the most interesting parts now, is um, the DD that goes on for a player transfer. So I don't see a lot of it, but I will hear from various people about different things that are happening. There's a whole new piece going on about psychological profiling of players that I think wasn't necessarily the case, or I didn't see or hear was the case even 10 years ago or so, is how stable is the player in terms of his family life? Is he a single guy? Is he married with three kids? Um, what type of character traits does he have? Have they spoken to the three previous coaches, previous teammates, etc.? Um, as importantly, does he have a social media profile? A lot of the bigger clubs now, I understand, are employing um, individuals, forensic teams, to go through their whole social profiles, look for particular issues, problems, words, whatever it may be, to ensure either proactively they can do something about it or reactively they can do something about it. And there's another whole piece as well to this as well, by the way, which is on-field technical data. So there's a whole other piece, which is can clubs ask for previous clubs' medical data, on-field data, training data, which could actually, if they needed to, give them an insight into particular injuries, how that's impacted them at different times, that piece is becoming actually a more relevant piece because there's so much data out there. What is it that you do? I mean, are you just 
checking things, you know, that everything is legal, or did you get actively involved in the negotiations, in the haggling? I know from my very limited experience that lawyers love to write really rude letters to each other. Is that mostly what you do? Just to you, Raf, basically. Um, the truth is twofold. One is, what do I do day to day? So I usually do around three things day to day if I break it down. The first is I will help players and agents on the whole when there is a transfer or whether there's a contract renegotiation. I won't get involved in the negotiation. I'll get involved when the drafting needs to be, I think, tightened or removed or added. I'll give you just one brief example, and I'm doing a blog on it at the moment, actually, is the definition of the word appearance. I know it sounds a bit pedantic, but actually the word and how appearance is defined is massively important. It's probably the one word that I look for the most <laughs> in the schedule for two reasons. One, because usually bonus provisions go on if the player has appeared in the game. Now, what does appeared mean? Is it 70 minutes on the pitch? Is it one minute on the pitch? Is it if he's in the matchday squad? That can be obviously very important. The second element is actually appearances for then uplifts in your salary on a monthly basis. So if you appear in 20 games, what is that appearance? If you appear in 40 games, etc. And then that uplift can be an extra five, ten, fifteen thousand pounds. So, what is the standard definition of appearances? Well, um, it's a good, it's a good one. It varies, and I've been able to negotiate across the board. Sometimes it can be uh, more than twenty minutes. Sometimes it is you have to appear in the starting eleven. But for younger boys who may be just breaking through into the first team squad, it could simply be being in the first team squad can be an appearance. And obviously, it's because then you know the contract can be renegotiated in two years, and it may not be a huge appearance fee. But that, to many, would be a real, a real benefit. So when you see a coach bringing on two players with a minute to go, you kind of smile to yourself and think, "Well, this it is, is it's true. an appearance fee." It depends. That's the thing. I mean, I'll know for the players that I'm working with whether they're going to get their appearance bonus and/or their win bonus potentially. But the other side of it is also, um, which we're seeing less of, which I know is talked about a lot, which is assists or goal bonuses, for example. Now, in a way. They're pretty counterintuitive because actually you want the team aligned for wins, etc. But we've seen instances where players have taken penalties off the designated penalty taker. And, you know, I can't cast any aspersions over anybody because I don't know most of the contracts. But, you know, the player who may have won the penalty might think I can get an extra 25 grand for scoring this goal. Now that causes potential conflict. Whereas if it's a win bonus without those goal bonuses, then, you know, there isn't really that remunerary incentive so strictly legally speaking and what is the most outrageous thing that you've seen or heard about being included into a, a transfer fee or a uh, employment contract there's all the reported ones that we talk about in the book i mean funniest one i think is the the neil ruddock one to be fair which is the um the weight clause point which i i hadn't heard of actually until a few years ago when someone said it to me but also someone had i'd, I'd read it as well which was you know, unless you keep within certain weight parameters, um, you're either not going to get your bonus or you're not actually going to be able to play. I mean, it would seem totally bizarre if you went a couple of pounds over and then you actually got sacked <laughs> as a result of that. That would, that would seem a bit awkward. The same one, I think it was um, with only being able to wear uh, res about wearing certain colour boots. I mean, that to me seems totally uh, a bit outrageous as well and not in legalistic terms. That was Rafa exactly. Um, and also, I think um, Stefan Schwartz's clause about not being able to go into space or stinging the Bjorn of Bees clause about um, not being able to go skiing. But it actually brings, it brings into play an important one because, you know, footballers can't be doing 
hazardous things. They can't be motorbike riding like Carlo Cudicini did when he fractured, I think, his arms and uh, pelvis, I think, which is really, which is obviously a major problem. They could, you know, Chelsea could have um, sacked him for that potentially. Um, uh, same with skiing, same with anything which puts you in danger. You can't go and play five-a-side with your mates on a pitch, really, because, you know, anything could possibly go wrong and probably would go wrong. I don't know if you can go into any details, but uh, what is the easiest uh, or quickest deal you've ever done? Um, the easiest, quickest deal I've ever done, actually, was uh, stupidly when I went away on holiday four days before the window closed. <laughs> and I was with Holly and the girls on the beach in France. And one of my clients phoned me up and said, Dan, we've got the player that's just landed um, um, in the UK. The deal's being concluded in four hours. Can you just have a quick look through the contract? Just make sure everything's all right. And that's the worst in a way. So I had to tell Hull I'm going to be um, you know, out of action for the next few hours now. So I am... Um, on the beach <laughs> in the table I've got four napkins <laughs> all with different clauses I've got my two phones looking at the clauses of the rep contract and the and, and player contract and I'm making suggestions to the club secretary on the phone I've then got the agent on the other phone saying can we do this that and three and a half hours later um, the deal's done thank goodness because everybody's willing just to to get things done was I entirely happy with all of the clauses probably not but it was worth a lot of money to the agent and they were willing to take that risk in the end what would have been the the most complicated deal you've made and did it include Danny Levy <laughs> I the truth is I actually haven't worked um uh, uh with or against Daniel and anything just yet for on Tottenham related matters um usually it is with the um elite clubs in the Premier League where their um, employment contract schedules are massive they can be like 35 40 pages long and that's the the tricky element to it all it's incredibly comprehensive but it just means it takes a huge amount of like mental energy to go through especially within short deadlines and that's the thing that I find the trickiest because ultimately there's a deadline and my biggest worry is cutting the deal off really of being so risk averse that you say we can't do that and we can't do that my idea isn't to say can't it's can we do it this way or can we draft this this way? Because the last thing I want is me, you know, losing the deal for the agent or the player. What is the, the thinking behind doing deals on deadline day? Why does it take so long? Is it sort of gamesmanship or is it just people being a little bit slow to sort things out? Why Why does it happen that way? I, I don't ultimately know the exact answer. I know the factors that go into it. And you can probably know better than I because you're probably hearing it from all the, the players, agents and clubs all at different times. My view is that... Um, you can plan as well as anyone wants to plan. But ideally, avenues sometimes only open up because transfer decisions are taken and then reassessed throughout. So one agent may have a player. That player may be going to one particular club. The club backs out of the deal. Second option of the club happens. That club then signs someone. The, the team that they've signed it from then needs a player in order to recover. And the, the cycle goes on. And sometimes that can happen at multiple times across multiple clubs, across multiple agents. So the, the chain impact of reactions and actions effectively meet cascade. And that's why the closer you get to a deadline, people can become a little bit more panicked and reactive in what they need to do. But ultimately those windows within the window only open quite late because people are willing to accept less or more or there is they people see opportunity for value very late on and are happy to do it. And let's get this right, just one more thing. Usually uh, the January window 
is not a great window to do deals and deals are sometimes done at inflated prices. A lot of clubs see that window as an opportunity to maximise value for their players to sell and will only try and do it late on because buying clubs will see that opportunity. Now, you told us that you got going writing about Bosman. A similarly uh, seismic change might, might hit the UK um, after Brexit. How do you assess the impact on, on football and Premier League in, in particular? I'm so sick of the B word, <laughs> just personally, never mind professionally. Truth is, but there's one really big impact, which I think hasn't been covered off just yet. It's as follows. Um, if we, we go with no deal or some type of, or what, let's say no deal for the moment, everybody uh, requires a work permit except for UK players. What happens for any non-UK player that is signing a contract extension post end of March? I think they would require a work permit. And if they require a work permit, they may not get one. Who knows what the rules may say, which means they can't sign a contract extension. Now, that's not even for new players, new non-UK players coming in to the UK, full stop. There is no clarity whatsoever at the moment. And that makes me feel very nervous for all the players that are telling me, well, what do I do? And my view is, if there's a contract renegotiation to happen, ideally try and get that done rather soon. But then... What's the point in me giving that advice if I don't know what the outcome of Brexit would be? It's like completely circular. So the answer is there is no answer. Sorry. <laughs> well, you'd be busy, I think, one way or the other. Um, finally, as a Liverpool fan, if you could magic any one transfer into being, what would it be? Can I be really a stereotype and just say messy? <laughs> or does it have to be realistic? Will he gig and press happily for Jürgen? I don't care if he doesn't. <laughs> we haven't seen as much Jürgen press in this season, to be fair. I would love to see someone like Werner from Red Bull. I've seen him quite a lot recently. Um, uh, oh, excuse me, I have to interrupt here. Their official name is RB Leipzig, not Red Bull. Sorry. Of course, actually, after that FFP decision. <laughs> And completely different entity. Correct. Absolutely separate. Um, and I think because he's a multi-purpose striker by the looks of it as well. Lightning, good decision-making, scorer of goals, but can probably play in either of the front three positions for Liverpool. And I think Klopp really likes flexibility of tactical acumen. The same way maybe why we bought Cater as well. Can probably play in four different positions. Um, and we probably need a bit of backup with, I don't know, Origi, Sturridge likely to leave in the summer so I think he, he would be quite nice to fit in that was Daniel G speaking to Rafa Honigstein you can follow Daniel on Twitter at Football Law and you can pick up his new book Done Deal an inside guide to football's contracts multi-million pound transfers and Premier League Big Business which is published by Bloomsbury online and in store now